0: in chapter 21. uh, Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem. He's on his way back uh, because he was trying to get there by Pentecost in 2016. (coughs) We know from other passages he's on his way back with various brethren taking money for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And this is a we section, has been since the beginning of chapter 20. So, that means there's a detailed accounting, port by port, where Paul went. And he ended up, in verse 3 and 4, entire, spent seven days there. When Paul goes somewhere, he does what all good Christians ought to do. He finds the disciples there. And he spends time with them. And they kept telling Paul, in verse 4, through the Spirit, not to set foot in Jerusalem. Now, that's interesting, because Paul is conscience-bound to go to Jerusalem, and that's the right thing for him to do. What the Spirit was saying is there was going to be hard consequences he was going to face when he went to Jerusalem. They took that and assumed that meant he shouldn't go. Sometimes we do the same thing. Sometimes we'll take what the Spirit says, and we will interpret it in such a way that we will think it means a certain thing when it does not. So the, and, uh, the people of Tyre were trying to keep Paul from going to Jerusalem, but it did not stop him. Then he goes to Caesarea in verse 8 and enters the house of Philip the Evangelist. This is not Philip the Apostle, this is Philip of Acts 6 and 8, one of the seven who had gone down to Samaria and preached the gospel to the Samaritans and then was called to the Jerusalem Gaza Road where he met an Ethiopian man riding back in a chariot and he taught and baptized him and then at the very end of Acts 8 he went to Caesarea. And in Caesarea, he was, and, and that's where we find him, then here in chapter 21 verse 8 in the same place uh, we left him at the end of Acts chapter 8. And uh, he that, that would have been an interesting meeting. Uh, if you stop and think about it, Paul had a hand in starting the church in Caesarea. Right? <laughs> <coughs> not exactly directly. Not intentionally. Not exactly intentionally. But he's the one that was instigating the persecution that caused people like Philip to flee to a place like Caesarea and preach the gospel and start the church. And uh, you think about what that uh, must have been like when Paul was there in Philip's house. After all, Philip was one of seven specially appointed men at that uh, much earlier over the food service for the widows. Remember what happened to one of those other seven men? Stephen was stoned and who was holding the coats for the stoners? That would have been Paul. You wonder if they discussed any of that. You know? Uh, but Philip was uh, a, a, an evangelist. He had four daughters who were prophetesses. There were female prophets in the New Testament. Acts 2 speaks of that. First Corinthians 11 does as well. There were also some prophetesses in the Old Testament. Um... And while they were there, Agabus comes. We have seen Agabus once before, remember? Where was he once before?
1: Prophesied about
0: the famine. Prophesied about the famine. Where was he when he prophesied that? Anya. Very good. Anya. And here he's in Caesarea, and he takes Paul's belt, and he binds his uh, own feet and hands and says, this is what is going to happen to the guy who owns his belt. You're going to be bound and delivered into the hands of the Gentiles. And the people were begging him not to go to Jerusalem. Look at verse 13. Paul answered and said, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm I'm ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And so, you know, it's not easy to separate the revelation from the interpretation you know they were assuming from the revelation he shouldn't go to jerusalem that was not the correct assumption the revelation of agabus was simply that it's going to be hard for him when he does when they cry and weep and try to get him not to there being a temptation to him not to fulfill his mission sometimes well-intentioned people can actually hurt others from doing the thing that they should do sometimes we get too much human sympathy we're like, oh, this be so hard for you. I don't want you to have to go through this and all that. When we ought to be encouraging them, do it. It's right. It may be hard, but the Lord will be with you. And so they finally uh, are quiet and, and say, the will of the Lord be done. Then Paul went from there to Jerusalem, stayed with a guy named Nason. And then he went to James and the elders and the brethren and told them all the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. It's interesting that Paul never reported what he did. He only talked about what God did. I think there's probably a reason for that. not really do anything. It was the Lord who was doing it. And when they hear it, verse 20, they glorified God. Which also is a very uh, important point. If we talk about what we do, then people glorify us. If we tell them what God did, then they'll honor and glorify God. Uh, but they have this problem, and let's go ahead and uh, read this and talk about it. We may have talked about most of this last time, but let's uh, talk about it. Okay, then let's read 20 to 26 of chapter 21.
2: And when they heard it, they began glorifying God and said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you, and you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then is to be done? <clears throat> they will certainly hear that you have come. Therefore, do this that we tell you. For we have four men who are under a vow. Take them, and purify yourself along with them, and pay their expenses, in order that they may shave their heads, and all will know that there is nothing to these things which you have been told, which have which they have been told about you, but that you yourself also walk orderly, keeping the law. But concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we wrote, having decided that they should abstain from meat, sacrifice to idols, and from blood, and from what is strangled, and from fornication. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, purifying himself along with them, went into the temple, giving notice of the completion of the days of purification, until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them.
0: So, there is a misunderstanding that's developed among some of the Jewish Christians. <laughs> what do they think Paul has been teaching?
3: Uh, their children
0: and walk has that he has been teaching the Jews to give up circumcision and to give up <coughs> Their Jewish customs and culture. Now that almost sounds right. Hasn't been? Hasn't Paul been teaching against circumcision and the law of Moses? So are they right?
3: He's teaching that it isn't necessary for salvation, but he's not teaching that it's necessarily wrong. I think when people like we've been talking about before and back, people put an extreme to it, then it can become wrong to us. But in moderation, the way God it intended it, is
0: not. What made the difference? Because Paul's been doing a lot of talking against circumcision of the law of Moses. It's not necessary
2: if you want to, because that's what you're accustomed to doing. That's one thing. But to press on other people
0: who aren't accustomed to it, saying that it is necessary, isn't right. So it depends on whether or not you're a Jew or a Gentile. Because for the Jews, circumcision was a part of their national identity. Some of the customs of Moses were a part of their national identity. The law itself was not just a religious law, it was the constitution of their nation. And so he was not trying to tell Jews not to follow Jewish customs, not to keep their culture or whatever. He's telling, Gent- he's telling Jews and Gentiles not to obligate Gentiles to have to become Jews to be saved. There's a big difference. You know, I, you wouldn't you know, you wouldn't go I didn't go to Brazil and insist that the Brazilians say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag, sing the national anthem, and keep the 4th of July. But I wouldn't come to the U.S. and insist that people not do those things. Now, it's a little more complicated because of the fact that these things were both religious and national. But it really doesn't change anything. If you stop and think about it, circumcision was a part of Jewish national identity the customs of moses were part of the jewish nation's law he's not against jews being jews and so they've been misinformed about law. do you have a question or comment about that thought they have an idea as to how Paul can most effectively counteract that false rumor. What's their idea? Take these women on a vow and observe the cleansing with them. Yes. Wonder what kind of a vow this would have been.
3: Maybe a vow they hadn't done.
0: They hadn't taught that way or what? No. I think it's probably a Nazirite vow. You know, they're they're shaving their head afterwards. What what could they not do during the time of the Nazirite vow? Couldn't touch the uh, <coughs> anything like a fruit in the vine And? Did the vine. Lot and couldn't cut their hair. And so I suspect this is the Nazirite vow, Numbers chapter six. And that they are now, you know, completed the term of the vow purifying themselves, offering the sacrifices or whatever and and cutting their hair. Uh, and if Paul goes in with them on the purification ritual and pays their expenses then it's better than Paul saying I don't teach Jews to abandon Jewish customs it's showing them that he is not against these Jewish practices um, and they are quick to say to Paul in verse 25 that they are not going back on their earlier agreement as far as what the Gentiles have to do they agree the Gentiles only need to keep these things in verse 25 and they're reiterating their commitment to that agreement this is a question of Jews and Paul paying the expenses of Jews for the purification hour keeping this Jewish vow and Paul was very willing to do it. After all, he was a Jew. And he had no problem with Jews being Jews. Comments and questions to verse 26. Yes.
1: Um, I have a question. Um, whenever it says shaving their heads, is it just referring to cutting it?
0: I think they've shaved it, I don't know. How? I
1: mean you can't really shave your head with a sword.
0: Well they had other instruments besides swords. They didn't cut their head, yeah. You I don't know what all like
1: they Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they
0: didn't have electricity, so they probably didn't have a business. thingy. That's how <laughs> I would have said it, dude. sounded good to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure they had whatever they did. I mean, oh, wow. I don't have a business thingy when I shave, they but it works very well. Brush. Yeah. So why wouldn't they have <laughs> <I never> to <laughs> shave with a <the> razor? <laughs> Never looked into ancient shaving practices. <laughs> Somebody could do a report on that for next week. Well,
4: that does kind of intrigue so
2: me. If I, if I can if I find time, I might try to find it. Yeah, I see what you find out. It's a say jagged rock. Also, <laughs> 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 the no
3: reason I think of Moses, every you say jagged rock. Although, what was the about Moses where he, didn't he cut his hair on the jagged rock? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, he doesn't want to circumcise his son. I
0: thought, wow, I was going to rip him That's right. Never mind. Long story. Ezekiel cut his hair with a sword. But that's because God told him to. He's got with a rod. Then he had to weigh out his hair in three equal parts.
4: And then cut some more, you
0: know. You're right. That was an equal 5. Anyhow, um, other questions and comments through verse 26.
1: So while Paul didn't want to change their customs, would it be fair to say that he wanted to try to change their thinking about those customs in terms of what what it meant to their relationship with God? Yes, I think so.
0: I think so. But you could still keep the custom. And have the proper thinking. Because he insisted that they not obligate Gentiles to keep these things. In the whole Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, was when they were trying to bind, that you have to keep the law of Moses <clears throat> and circumcision to be saved. And Paul argued strenuously against that. So I think, yes, he was trying. He wouldn't have allowed them to think that those were binding things before God. But he was okay with them doing those things as a matter of custom. You know, I mean, wow. It's hard to come up with modern parallels and understand how to deal with some things. And there's probably more than one way of looking at these things. But maybe there's some slight parallel to customary traditional observances of religious holidays for non-religious purposes. You know there are christians and i respect them who would not have anything to do with any sort of christmas observance easter egg hunt or whatever but there are other american christians who do those things as a matter of kind of their family tradition Not necessarily that they're binding some sort of a religious practice on other people that may be okay Uh, that I know that's a debated issue among brethren but this might be a passage that would indicate that we can do some things as a national custom even if there is some religious connection that some people have had with those things
2: so how would they distinguish the difference and what things they could I mean there are some things that they could no longer do or shouldn't do as that were part of the law or part of their nation or their customs I mean yes. it, it wouldn't be I don't think it would be acceptable to continue to sacrifice animals as their worship but that was certainly
0: a, I mean a custom and a...
3: That's what the verse was like.
0: yeah they offered a sacrifice even in connection with this I agree with what you're saying <coughs> wasn't so much that they couldn't sacrifice animals per se, as but they but couldn't sacrifice animals thinking that that was going to atone for their sin before God.
2: Right, in the way <coughs> that they right. did under, under law. So they could no longer do <laughs> those things. That's all a complicated... Even issue. the temple itself. You know, they continued to use the temple... Some of them, obviously, with the wrong impression of the temple. Um.
0: Yeah. Yeah, some of those things are really difficult to know how to look at. Um, You know, because on the one hand, you see Paul so strong against those things in Galatians and Acts 15 and, you know, Hebrews, you know, whatever wrote that, and so forth, and yet you see, you know, him offering sacrifices here, you know, paying the expense of keeping the vow, and so forth. And so I think I would agree that Paul would be making a distinction between, you know, this being an act of worship to God and this being a part of our national practice. That's the best explanation I know for this. I
2: don't know. What do you guys think? It appears that maybe even they kept doing some of these traditions and customs as part of their worship to God, though. Is that, you know, that's more the question of the dividing... Line because they continued to do certain things. You know, even even in this, is was this? Were were there some that did this as somewhat of a religious sacrifice, or was this just a national <laughs> thing? I
0: don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure that I can be confident in my answer from the text. I'm not sure it really says in the text exactly how this was thought about. I mean, what's said is things like, you know, teaching them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. And, uh... You know, these brethren that were against him were zealous for the law. And, uh, you know, uh, they, said, they all will know that there's nothing to the things which they've been told about you, but you also walk orderly, keeping the law. So he's kind of equating being zealous for the law with walking according to the customs. Um, so I would see that as the law here, not as being the law of God, not thought of as the law of God, but thought of as the, the, the law of their national customs. I think it's fair to make that distinction. But I wouldn't be dogmatic about that. I think
2: this is a difficult question. Well, the other problem that I have with that is that that law was their worship to God. And to say, now I still keep the law. You, you can't do that anymore. Not in a complete sense of the law. So somewhere along the line, the definition of this law has changed. If that's what he's keeping is only the national uh, nationality part of it. Because the entire law was their entire worship and their way of being forgiven of their sins.
0: Yes, but it was also their constitution. It was the thing that that was their national identity as Jews. You know, that was I mean circumcision had been the mark of being a Jew all the way back to Abraham. Um so it's hard for me to see on the basis of Hebrews especially and even on the basis of books like Galatians, that Paul could have been thinking that this circumcision, for example, is a part of his, you know, honoring and pleasing God and fulfilling requirements before God. Or that the sacrifice was somehow a supplement to what Jesus did on the cross that was needed to forgive somebody's sins. I mean, it looks to me like Paul is so clear about those things in other passages that he can't be seeing the sacrifice as the thing that's forgiving the sins. Right. And so, but I can see how a Nazarite vow is a part of their culture. That's a part of how they dealt with things. Uh, they take a vow and they'd purify themselves in that way. You know, they'd sacrifice their children. Um... Paul told Timothy to circumcise himself I mean, and yet he refused to let Titus be circumcised so to me with Timothy he's saying this will keep down racial prejudice with Titus he's saying you're not going to make a Gentile be circumcised with the idea that this is being done as something needed before God it's really difficult issues I've always thought they were difficult issues there may be a better solution what I'm offering.
3: Sure. I guess the thing that I struggle with here is that I've thought this before, I've told people this before. And I guess I guess I see two different different things in the Bible. One there's sin, and one the other is there's things start wise. They're just a little too close. They're just a little too tempting for some people that they don't need to be dealing with. Some people has had a problem with drinking alcohol. They've been addicted to it. And it's been it's been a stumbling block a them. I'm going to tell them to stay away from any and all alcohol whatsoever, because it's not wise. It is not wise. Stay away from every situation where anyone in any way drinking. Now, if my dad walked by a party to my drinking, I'm not going to be worried. If my dad ain't going to go to that drinking party, you know, even walking by, he's not going to be tempted. Would it not be unwise for these people to do these customs that cause them to stray away from the Lord, like in Hebrews, would it not be one of those things you would teach and say, less is not why you should be around that been someone walked to you before? That's what I struggle with. Evidently not. <laughs> well,
0: then should we not teach that? Well, I don't think that's the way Paul would look at these things. I don't think he would think it was unwise for Jews to be Jews. I think he would think it would be unwise To try to insist that Jews abandon their culture and their customs. That they are matters of indifference before God. I mean, Paul says that. He says neither circumcision is anything nor uncircumcision is anything. He says that in Galatians. He says that in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians. So Paul believed that circumcision is a matter of indifference before God fact that some people might abuse circumcision some did some abused it in the sense that they were demanding it to happen for salvation didn't cause Paul to try to say to Jewish people quit circumcising your kids because some people are using this wrong I think if he had done that he would have been creating an unnecessarily stumble unnecessary stumbling block and barrier <clears throat> Against the Jews coming to Christ, because he's asking them to sacrifice their own their their national identity. You don't have to do that to come to Christ. Just because some people abuse circumcision doesn't mean you have to tell everybody they can't be circumcised. We will do that sometimes. We will say, well, because some people do wrong when they do something, nobody can do this, and we don't have the right to.
2: So maybe, is it possible? I mean, I've never, I've always just looked at this as when the new law came into effect, they needed to quit doing their old methods of worship. Maybe that's not the case. Did they continue in the temple offering the weekly and daily sacrifices and the, and even observing the Passover and doing those things for extended, I mean, as long as they
0: were Jews? Well, think about it. Some of that might be difficult with the Passover. The Passover is a part of their Jewish identity? That's what made them the Jewish nation. You know, this is this is like not not observing, you know, Independence Day. That was the day when they became a nation. So I can't imagine that, you know, Paul would have said, Oh, but you can't keep the Passover. Now, and, and, and that's religious in a sense as well it's a commemoration of what god did for them now i don't think paul would say you have the right to teach gentiles you better keep the passover to be saved it's not a salvation requirement it is something connected with the lord all of their history all of their national identity was connected with god that makes things a little hairier (laughs) it's great in a way but it's it's complicated but i yeah i mean i would think from these principles Absolutely, they continue observing those feast dates and things like that. Um, but not as a matter of binding them and seeing their relationship with God as being dependent on that. Because you come back to passages like Galatians 4. I'm afraid of you because you observe days and weeks and months and years. I think it's there the Gentiles turning to Judaism to try to be saved. You know, thinking that that's going to make them closer to God. I really think there's a huge difference between the Jews doing it and the Gentiles doing it. The Gentiles aren't doing it because it's a Jewish custom. <laughs> you know, they're not Jews. If they do it, it's because they think that's what you have to do to be right with God. Mm-hmm. If Jews do it, they're doing it because they're Jews. Unless they are turning around. And saying to the Gentiles, you've got to do this because we have to do these things to be right with God. That's where you can see they've got the wrong approach to it. But there would be a distinction between this and
1: uh, religious practices of, of man-made religions today. I mean, this, uh, this, these, these acts were established by God for his people. You could you could not argue that God established the man-made religious practices of the day. Let's pretend let's say I I converted to Christ from Catholicism, and there are all these religious practices associated with Catholicism. Could I argue that because of this, I can go ahead and continue to keep those things um, just the same way that Paul did as a Jew? These customs. I don't. I don't see the, the the direct parallel there. To me, I, I see a distinction. What do you think? All
4: right. I was going to ask because I, I think. Well, more well, my mindset is I'm thinking because uh, Paul, you know, was distinguishing that now, from my understanding, that Paul was now distinguishing that when they're looking at this under the law now, it's of uh, a like you keep saying a national thing and not a religious thing, right? They're keeping these practices more because of their nation not to be right in the sight of God. Yes. So if, if you, like, continued your Catholic things, <coughs> and if you follow me if I'm right on this, um, if he kept following his Catholic things, he knows, in his heart, that would be, he, he would feel like he had to do it to be right with God, to do his Catholic things and his Christian things. Um, but the problem is is you'd be keeping that to go along with religion but the
0: Jews are keeping it to go along with nationality. Really hard questions. I mean, they're the questions we face all the time. Can we have a non... I don't know if the word non-religious, right non-religious observance of Catholic holidays like Christmas and Easter. In Brazil, they have all their semi-pagan festivals their festival of San Juan and this and that and the other thing the brethren (laughs) there generally take a hard line against involving themselves at all with those things but I don't know if that's really required or not I don't know if because that's a part of their national identity clearly they couldn't be worshipping the spiritist background of that but whether or not they need to give those up I don't know exactly where to draw those lines well I was thinking specifically like let's
1: say I'm going to go to mass on Saturday night it's not keeping me from maybe anywhere else I need to be
0: there might be more problem with that as being a more directly Mm -hmm. you know religious act I'm I'm not sure about all those things but we really do face a lot of, you know, we face all different sets of questions in connection with those things, and and particularly when, like in Brazil, it's a, it's a Catholic nation, and also a spiritist nation, and so all of that background is integrated into the culture and trying to figure out when is this cultural and when is this not the right thing to do and i think it i think it comes to play for us who don't have a side to go to the mass in things like christmas and easter and all that are human religious holidays by origin you know halloween that's a human uh, (coughs) pagan you know and so forth and so on and you know and then you go and, and we got all those questions we got a zillion questions what about the days of the week you know they come from Greek gods and you know can you say St. Louis and and, you know um, some some people in (laughs) foreign nations have struggled with like their names being names that honor local gods although I find it interesting that apparently Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego and Belteshazzar allowed themselves to be named by Babylonian gods Man, I don't know where you draw some of those lines. I think all of those things get to be like, hmm. I think we've generally felt comfortable with certain of those things, maybe less so with others. I think all of this probably enters into that, exactly where to draw the line, I'm not sure. Yeah, sure.
1: Pretty much
3: drawing my conclusion and what we've been saying, this falls under the Romans 14, for that, it's, I mean, what, that it's what people, it's, it's your own conscience, what you decide is right and wrong. Is it
0: your own call? Well, first of all, get First Corinthians 8 completely out of that discussion. That's not First Corinthians 8. Um, and... Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't like this idea of just saying, okay, this is a Roman 14 question, so everybody do what they want to. I think, you know, we're better off still looking at it and saying, okay, here's the best we can figure out what God's will would be. Uh, but I think those are difficult questions. The point you're making, John, is something to be considered. You know, is the fact that these national customs were okay because they had been previously ordained by God, could you do that with a custom that hadn't been? I mean, that's, a, that's a good question. I don't know, though, that the fact that this had been previously ordained by God is the reason why it's okay for them to do those things. But maybe I mean that's a, that's one viewpoint. You know, you do have. I mean, you do certainly have. Here's another angle. You know, from First Corinthians eight through ten, you've got the idea of it being wrong to go to the idol temple and, eat and meet, even if you are doing it to worship the idol, because it's an idol worship service. Perhaps in that sense, going to mass might be, you know, covered in that. I don't
2: know. But you can keep your beads. (laughs) Just don't count them. Just don't (laughs) count them. But traveling west, I was thinking about those. Traveling west would be a problem going through, what would it be, Heathen Louis, Missouri? (laughs) 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 In Minneapolis, Heathen Paul, that doesn't, that ring, you know?
0: Think we're okay with things? Okay, okay. <laughs> but I mean, I would base that largely on you know the Babylonian names and Daniel. All all these things are hard, and you know, it's interesting. Paul Paul does this. I mean, some people have even resorted to saying, "Paul, what went, went wrong here?" I don't think we can do. That. And I think Paul too often exhorts us by the inspiration of God to follow wisdom. So I really don't think we can just say, well, Paul got it wrong, you know, learn from his bad example, look at the trouble this got him in or something well, like that. <laughs> I don't think that's the right thing. Well if you, when
4: the, if someone started to say that Paul went wrong, can you almost take that with just anything in the Bible Because he wrote well, he's got it by the spirit, right?
0: Well, they might say what he told you was okay, but what he did was wrong. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll come to a point about that a little later where a lot of people think he went wrong uh, including a lot of brethren maybe so here but uh, uh, but I, I think I think what he did was uh, <laughs> he with whom I morning <laughs> <laughs> it's not I is it <laughs> we will find out next week probably uh, in chapter 23 so uh, but you can already tell I don't think he went wrong we can't settle anything, but uh, do you have any other comments or observations?
4: No. <laughs> just, just on a couple, I just need a couple of definitions real quick. Um, in, in verse 25, where he makes mention of the blood and things strangled, what, the, what are those two? The blood? We can't blood. eat blood,
0: and eating meat that's been strangled is the idea of The blood has been left in the meat, so we can't eat strangled animal meat that has the blood still in it.
4: Oh, okay, okay. And then um I don't I don't know what he's talking about in twenty six, it talks about having been purified with them, and it talks about the expiration of the days of purification. What is this purification? Oh uh, I
0: think a purification, a process that they went through after they had the Nazarite vow. Okay, so it's a this purification or something from full that's not Yeah I think it would be a part of Process after that. I'm not even sure that the Old Testament outlines that. Okay. I don't it? It. I've never seen it. I
3: the Oh,
0: so I don't they even know. really know that. Exactly Let's see. The here. When the days of his separation are fulfilled, he shall bring the offering to the doorway of the tent of meeting. He shall prevent his offering to the Lord: one metal lamb, and so forth. As a burnt offering, as a peace offering, a grain offering, a drink offering, and then he'll shave his hair. Uh, and take the dedication of his hair and put it on the fire. So yeah, it looks like they do have that. Okay. So that's that's uh, you can read about all that in uh, number, six. number six. and then
4: uh, and then it talks of just following that. It says about which time an offering should be made. Is that offering the a, a sacrifice, a sa- sacrifice an animal sacrifice? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's the conclusion
1: to the thing, to the, to the 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 vow, bow. not the vow itself.
0: I think that's what they did when the vow was over. Yes. Is it supposed to take seven days or
1: did it just take seven days here? Uh, did it take seven days
0: here? It said the day of
3: separation. Well, number is is six. It? Is the day of separation.
0: Where is the seven days? There's well, 27 says down the yeah. seven, seven days from the end of the day. I don't know if that was a specific part, if there was something that was supposed to last seven days in number six. Numbers is probably my weakest book in the Old Testament. So,
4: could he have specifically wanted the vow to be
0: seven days so that you could end it and take the Lord's supper? I don't know what the Lord's supper with That sure, that's necessarily. Up uh, I'm not sure if there's a seven-day. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Well, hmm. I don't know. We'd have to study number six. There's a seven-day period, if, they, if somebody brought around them. <laughs> Well, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Something that I feel more comfortable with. <laughs> <laughs> 27 to 36.
4: Now when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple, and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Tropimus, the vision, with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was disturbed, and the people who were in together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions, and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he asked, and he asked, he who was and what he had done. And some among the multitude cried one thing and and some another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded them to be taken into the, bar- the barracks. When he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob, but a multitude of the people followed up after crying out away with him."
0: Well, he's almost in the process. They see him in the temple, from the Jews from Asia, they stir up the crowd, and they form a big riot against Paul. They say that he's speaking to all everywhere against our people and the law in this place. Has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled the holy place. Isn't that ironic? At the very time that he's taking action to show that he honors the customs and the law and all of that he's being accused of defiling it. in fact he's in the temple being purified so that he won't defile it and they're accusing him of the very opposite sometimes you can't win for losing you know you're accused of the very thing you know the opposite of everything you do you know uh, what did they accuse Jesus of when he cast out demons? Cast them out. by the leader of the demons. Yeah, if there was anything more <laughs> outrageously false than that, I can't imagine what it would be. You know, Jesus in league with Satan is about as uh, far from the truth that you could possibly get. So that happens sometimes. And that's exactly what's happened to Paul here. Happening to Paul here. And uh, they've seen that he's had an Ephesian Gentile in the city. Then later they saw him alone in the temple. And they jumped to the conclusion that he must have brought that Ephesian into the temple. That is not a necessary deduction. uh, But that's what they deduced. I think they probably wanted some basis to accuse Paul. And so they drag him out of the temple. Shut the doors. Which is kind of symbolic here of the Jews finally just shut the door on the gospel. Uh, They finally rejected. Of course, they're probably doing it because they don't want to defile the temple area with blood and uh, so forth and so on. But the last words in Acts about the temple have the gates slamming shut on the apostle of Jesus Christ and this message of salvation. And uh, they would have probably ripped him limb for limb except for one thing. What was that? Well, the Lord, through... The commander. Yeah, this Roman commander hears that there's a big riot and he comes down. As soon as he comes down there with the soldiers, they stop beating Paul. <laughs> and he's determined to try to nip this disturbance in the bud. He's probably had plenty of problems with Jewish disturbances. <laughs> and uh, he grabs Paul, orders him bound with two chains. I'm sure he assumes he's done some sort of criminal action and they're trying to lynch him. And uh, they can't really figure it out because everybody's all yelling at once and they're all yelling different stuff. And so he brings orders and brought them to the barracks. And, uh, you know, the multitude is still after him. I mean, they are infuriated and in enraged. They want him killed. And, uh, you know, the commander's probably thinking, I wonder why in the world this man did. Comments and questions.
1: In um, verse 31, at the end of it, my um, version says that a Roman cohort heard that all Jerusalem was in confusion. Does that mean that they didn't even, half of them didn't even really know that like what they were doing?
0: Well, I think in confusion means there's has big riot. There's a big okay. disturbance. That's all it means. I don't know that they knew what they were doing, but I think in confusion this means it's all chaos down there. Okay. I wonder if these were some of the same Jews that were just like chasing all around Asia from, like, Iconium and Antioch and Derby? Um, Asian Jews would have been, like, from Ephesus and that area, Corinth and so forth, would have been Asian areas. So I don't know, maybe not. I don't think we would have considered the Galatian regions as an Asian. Um, you said that,
1: um, whenever the uh, the
3: Romans or whatever, the soldiers came, that they stopped beating Paul? Yeah. Do you think that they did that maybe? Why do you think they did that?
0: they because probably, they're... probably get in trouble.
1: But then he took him and basically did the same thing,
0: didn't he? Um, well, not exactly. I mean, he was going to him eventually, but he didn't. But, you know, think about this. What if somebody, you know, kills somebody? Sometimes he'll go through a trial and get the death penalty and be killed. But that gives some private citizen the right to kill him. So it's the difference between the government has the right to do certain things that they don't give ordinary citizens the right to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. Other questions are coming. Fine. 37
3: to 40. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know, Greek? Are you not the Egyptian men who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Uh Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language,
0: saying... Okay. He's about to bring Paul into the barracks, and Paul says, may I say something to you? And that surprises him because he's speaking Greek, and he had assumed he was this Egyptian that Felix had uh, put down a revolt of, but the, the Egyptian had escaped. But this Egyptian man probably wouldn't have spoken Greek. And so he says, you know, you aren't this Egyptian? And Paul says, I'm a Jew of Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no insignificant city. There were three main cities along that southern coast of what we would call Turkey, Ephesus, Smyrna, and Tarsus. So he was a a, a citizen of a very important place. You know, he's not some Egyptian, um, and he says, I, I'd like to talk to the people. He doesn't really have a particular reason to stop Paul from doing that. So he says, okay. But when Paul turns to talk to the people, what does he do? Speaks in Hebrew. He speaks in Hebrew. That means Aramaic when it's all said and done. That was the Hebrew of Paul's day. But he speaks to them in the language of their culture and customs. Most Jews would have known Greek, could have talked to them in Greek, but to speak to them in Hebrew shows more respect. It's not exactly the same, because obviously Judaism was more important, being kind of like a, an American Indian, you know, who most of them know English, but they also have their tribal language. Somebody would go there to talk to them, and actually would speak to them in their own tribal language, that would, you know, be more of a sense of identification, show more respect. And so in verse verse 2 of chapter 22, they become even more quiet when he says that. You know, and so Paul will, will you know, speak Greek to gain the attention of the commander, and then he'll speak Hebrew to win the sympathy of the Jewish audience. I suspect, this means the commander couldn't understand what Paul we'll said. I don't think that was his purpose. But my guess is the commander doesn't know what he said. Because the commander would have spoken That's my guess. And yeah, I guess not being able to speak the Indian language, like if we don't
4: know what they speak in their tribes today. You know what I mean? Like exactly. Okay. Right? Okay,
0: that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I mean the commander would have more reason to know that, but my guess, even from some things that are said later, I'm of the impression that he didn't. Try to identify with the people you're talking to. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you don't use super formal, highfalutin language when you're dealing with a, you know, elementary school dropout. I mean, that's that's not. How would you do that? You know, I mean, you try to match people's, you know, language, not in some sort of a stupid way. And sometimes people are just trying to, you know, obviously sort of. Facetiously mimic somebody's way of talking. You're trying to do that. You're trying to identify. And I would say this: I think there is a great deal of value and importance as we go all over the world preaching the gospel to learn the languages of the people where we're going. Not saying that's an that's a rule, but there is great value in that. Now I understand we are not especially favored. Everybody in the world wants to know English, and in some places a lot of them too. But there is a great deal to be said for the willingness to learn somebody's language, to communicate with them in their own language. I'll give you a good illustration of that. Uh, I think is a man who has never lived overseas, but has spent many 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 trips to Italy and has learned Italian and communicates with those brethren in Italian That's David Tomlin and uh, David's done a lot of good and had a great impact on Italian brethren but they appreciate so much the fact even though he's never even lived there he's, he preaches in Italian and communicates with them very effectively he's, he's gone to Italy for 30 years You know, he's made a lifetime of traveling over there and visiting the brethren and helping and encouraging them. I think when he first went, he wasn't able to speak Italian, but he's learned it. Isn't that a good thing? And just think about, you know, as Americans, sometimes we become sort of smug. Well, why can't they learn English? (laughs) Well, you know, we're the ones trying to take the gospel to them. Mm -hmm. It's a it, it's it's a responsibility on our part to do what we can to identify with them in areas where most people don't speak English. Think of how unpersonal it is to you having an open conversation with somebody else, and both of you are talking through a third party. You don't talk to each other; you talk to the interpreter, and the interpreter talks to each one of you. That stinks. You, wow, can you imagine how distant that is? I mean, have you ever had a conversation with somebody that you just didn't really want a third party listening to? You know, you know, you can't have any of those if you guys don't speak the same language. So I think that's a reasonable point from this passage. Obviously, not all of you will go overseas, and some of you might. And uh, if you do, really try to learn the language. It's worth it. Wouldn't that be a form of,
4: um, if we're going overseas, wouldn't that be a form of, humility and putting ourselves on their level,
0: to, you know what I mean, to bring ourselves closer to them. Yes, except don't say it that way. <laughs> that gesture. Why is their level down here?
4: Oh, I just, yeah. I wasn't, I didn't mean, I'm sorry, I, right. I wasn't thinking
0: down here, like I just, when I say hey, level... It's a matter of reaching them where right they're at. at. But, yeah. yeah. There's nothing su- inherently superior about English to that. Right. No, I wasn't symbolizing
4: it, I just, I just <laughs> my hand was there. But, uh, so, okay, um, yeah. and it could wouldn't it be the same, and I'm not, uh, I don't know if it's the right or wrong way to say this, but I know I've heard a lot of people say, uh, you know, in America, when, when Mexicans are moving up here and they're not learning English, a lot of Americans are getting mad because they're not learning the language <coughs> of the land. And wouldn't that be uh, similar to us going to them to try to preach to them, we should learn their language to, to be able to, to speak to them in their own country, in their own native tongue? Yes. It may be the same
0: thing. Yes. Because yeah. yes, I think so, except I suspect most countries are not as smart and arrogant American as Americans are. Uh, wow. So uh, most of the Brazilians do not resent Americans coming and not speaking their language as yeah. much as we would. But it certainly is an identifying mm. And it's so much better. And they appreciate it. You know, definitely in Brazil, they yeah. appreciate that. And they know that means you want to talk to them in their language. You cared enough to Mm -hmm. do that. To learn that language. Absolutely. It it, it is, you know. And, you know, I mean, it depends on where you are. But in a lot of places where they know English, Mm -hmm. it's still much easier for them to communicate in their own language. No, that's not true with everybody. That's true with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Other thoughts and comments? Why would he think that Paul was this Egyptian? Kind of <laughs> well, weird. you know, I don't know. I guess because he must be a real rascal, and the Egyptian probably had, to, I don't remember when this had been, but I think not long before the Egyptian escaped, so he probably figured he'd come back and was turn things up again. 80, I don't know. Eighty fifty-four, according to my name. I never i
2: spread this. I don't know. It was 80, 54. This wasn't much after that. Yeah, so the most recent, the most recent, recent uprising was yeah, this guy, yeah, so exactly. it must
0: be him again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we might do something like that. That's you kind of yeah. jump into a conclusion, because that is what's kind of on your mind. Do
4: Egyptians and Jews look alike? Because <laughs> 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 he was a Jew before, you know, before he converted, so I mean... I mean, did everyone really different languages? they really
2: mistaken on I assume they were all the same color.
0: I mean, yeah. I don't want to say that. I maybe that's Egyptians today and Jews would look a
2: lot like to me. But. And, they, and they lived together for 400 years. That's true. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Okay. So for next time you look up how we shave our heads in ancient,
4: in ancient times and whether Egyptians and Jews were alright.
0: 2,000 years ago. Yeah.
4: Uh, now, Hebrew and Aramaic, is that is synonymous?
0: Well, here it is. Okay. The ancient Hebrew that they spoke before the captivity is, a diff- is different. Okay. When they came back from captivity, they were speaking Aramaic, because that was the language of the Babylonians. They are oh, okay. closely related languages, okay. but they are not the same. But but when he uses Hebrew here, he means the language that you speak. It was really Aramaic in this time. Oh, okay. They're all, kind of like Spanish and Portuguese or something like that. Okay, They're, they're pretty close. Okay.
3: Is that is that maybe a national kind of use of visualized style? I have is no weird? idea. I was
4: just curious. was a I don't think about it. But so you hold one, phone them up. Yeah. Yeah. All
0: right. Um, remind me when I when we stop. I will tell you something about uh, Egyptians and Jews looking along, But um, one through five. Brethren and fathers, hear my
3: defence before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. And then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in the city the Tarsus and born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous to, toward God as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prison both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and went went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished.
0: Well, he's further identifying with them. He's not only speaking the same language, but while he was born in Tarsus, he actually was brought up in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. So he had a very strict traditional Jewish upbringing. He was zealous for the law of our fathers, just like they are. And he was a persecutor of the Christians. In fact, what had he done? He had been binding and putting both men and women into prisons. Look back at 2133. You know, he was in bonds, just like he had been binding men. So uh, he'd been on both sides of that question. Uh, questions. But, but, I mean, what you see is he had been just where they have been. You know, he'd been a fellow persecutor of theirs. He is trying to narrow the distance and identify himself with them. Um, which is a good way, I mean, it's, it's a profitable thing. You know, he's saying, I've been there, I've done that, I know where you guys are at, that's where I'm from too. That my heritage is as an Orthodox Jew. Comments and questions. Same. Is
3: the same familiar?
0: In verse three is in Jacob. Yes. Yes. He was a known, well-known Jewish rabbi. Obviously, because he convinced him not to kill. Him. Yes. Yes. He was a respected Jewish rabbi. He was. And so, I mean, that kind of upbringing—you know, having him as his teacher—that was—that was cool.
3: Well, it was definitely something to give him respect on, that. Uh, exactly. It was. I mean, it was probably the thing that got him in his position before he became a Christian.
0: Yeah, it probably had something to do with it. Right. That's exactly right.
3: I bet they're confused at this point. The are Um, did you say anything about, in, um, uh, first uh. about how I
1: said I persecuted this way and the W's capitalized?
0: Well, he uses this way Kind of talking about this, um, I don't know this this way of life, this religion, this uh, whatever. And so some of the translations do capitalize it. Way is used several times in acts like that. So they're they're thinking of that as being almost like saying the church capitalizing. Oh, there I go. Um, I've never heard it
4: put like that, but I didn't really know why it was capitalized. I always assumed it was. I do a know. You ever thought on the I thought it was when Jesus said in like John fourteen six that he's the way. I think he's kind of referring to Jesus in that sense. As this way. I think not Jesus.
0: I don't think so. Oh. Okay. Yeah. I'm not saying he doesn't go back to that, but you know, I think I think this way is just talking about this, this religion. Movement. This movement. Uh, yeah, that'd be a good way to say it. Okay. This cult, this Yeah. when well, yeah, what do you what do you call it? You know, and there, there are, I don't remember the passages, but there's three or four more passages in, in Acts that call it the way, okay. you know, it's like... Movement would be a good for, uh, Yeah, well, that's not what's used in Acts, but yeah, that's what we'd probably say. Okay. Probably say okay. And you hate to say the sect, that's kind of derogatory term to talk about yourself. You know, <laughs> this denomination doesn't work in their culture. You know, this religion, I guess he could have said that, yeah. but this way is maybe better. Okay. Anything else? All right.
2: Um, So, 6 through 11. It came about that as I was on my way approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me beheld the light to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into on into Damascus, and there you will be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. But since I cannot see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me
0: and came into Damascus. This is what changed Paul. You know, I mean, he was on his way to Damascus, as he pointed out in verse 5. It was getting near there, it was about noon, and there was a very bright light that showed. Now, I'll tell you what, a very bright light around noon would be a very bright light. It was, you know, around noon, you don't see, you know, lights. And the sun kind of drowns them out. Uh, So that was amazing. And he fell to the ground and the voice Mm -hmm. saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And all of those things. And... You know, if you compare all the accounts, it looks like his companions heard the sound, they saw the light, but they didn't hear Jesus, and they didn't see see Jesus. So they heard and saw something, but they didn't have the revelation that Paul had. And Paul was ordered to go on into Damascus, and he'd find out what he ought to do. And this is the passage where we find out why Paul was blinded, how that came about. In verse 11, it was because of the brightness of that light. So the bright light. Left Paul blind for three days. That must have been quite a lot. But but this is showing that you know his conversion was not just apostasy or some defection or because somebody offered him more money you know to preach the gospel or anything like that. This is because of the encounter with the Lord on the road to Damascus. He would have never changed if it hadn't been for that. Come a question.
4: With the bright light thing, didn't it, when his eyes got healed and
0: everything, didn't it scales fall off? Except
4: mm-hmm. not? How would the scales come to be there if it's just bright light? Mm-hmm. Flash burn.
2: Try it with a welding stick; it'll do it. What? It'll, it'll burn your eyes. The scales fall off it. It will sunburn your eyes. So then I assume if they're burnt bad enough, yeah, it'd be just like your skin. It's good feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I'd rather not. Yeah. <laughs> you have to put potatoes on
4: it. <coughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: You know, I think about that verse, and it's just so true. You know, we're never going to truly see until we're blinded by the glory of the Lord,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and that, that's really that's <laughs> so true.
0: We're never gonna see. What well, the world wants to see until we're blinded by him. Yeah, I remember uh, hearing, growing up hearing, I don't remember who, somebody preaching the sermon, what Saul saw while blind. <laughs> <laughs> he really saw a lot of stuff when he was blinded, so. That's kind of cool. All right, let me tell you about, um, you know, Egyptians. And, uh, um, Do we, we want No, you don't need to record it? this. This is, uh, this is.